0: God, a powerhouse for the kingdom in the house. Joy Blundell, a live Lincoln location pastor, is in the house. Don't come up yet. I'm going to love on you a bit, Joy. There are many things I could say about Joy. We joined a, a live new life at the same time around about 12 years ago. And man, she's got a passion for God. Her heart for God electric. It is electric. It is contagious. You spend time with her. You want to go and change the city. You want to go and change the community. She is a wonderful woman full of passion. Her remit God is opening many doors nationwide. And I love it. She's got a voice into many, many things. Cap, she sits on a border cap. She's a location pastor. She heads up ground level uh, uh, exchange GLX. she would probably tell you about that. But I love a big heart for the kingdom, a big heart for the family. We love you, Joy. You're at home here today. And you're gonna smash it out of the park because we love you. So, ladies and gentlemen, would you stand to your feet and give a massive welcome for the amazing Joy Blundell's in the house!
1: Thank you so much, everyone. You can sit down. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's my birthday tomorrow, everyone. I'm going to be 21 plus 19. (laughs) can <laughs> do the uh, maths. It's so really, it's really cool to be here uh, amongst family and friends and to uh, join in with you celebrating Jesus on the Sunday. And I'm going to share a bit of my heart. Um, I feel really at home. Uh, the guys in the pre-service bit gave me loads of gifts and um, uh, it was amazing just to feel um, so affirmed and celebrated. This culture and the atmosphere in this place is really brilliant and it's great to celebrate uh, with you all. I wanted to share some of my um, heart and some of the things that I feel like Jesus has been talking to me about really personally uh, for uh, what he's calling me to do but what he's calling his church to do as well and it's come straight on the back of us digging into Romans 8 and so if you don't mind I know we've had a few weeks of it I know you won't have heard it because I feel like God's spoken to me personally it wasn't in the notes And uh, I want to dig into some more of that and also into the book of Jeremiah this morning as well. Because the words from Romans 8 and the prayers that I've been praying through Romans 8 have really given me some language as uh, we've been looking at what's going on across the nation. I've heard some people say that we're in some kind of national crisis, that the nation feels... uh, Really, um, something's going on. There's a tension in the atmosphere. We're wondering what's going to happen next. I can hear it. I've seen it in the news headlines. I've heard it at the chatter at the school gate with all my friends, my school gate mates. I've heard it as I've spoken to leaders in the city. And I've heard it as I've gone into my local news agent and exchanged remarks uh, with the people from my village. We've all been sensing it. Uh, And... I feel like uh, as we look at it, the words from Romans 8, uh, chapter, uh, verse 19, that Paul writes, kind of echo around my heart and my head as I've listened to the people and what they're saying in our nation. I just want to read this to you. It says, for creation waits. In eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. So it says creation is subject to frustration or futility. And that word that Paul uses, uh, frustration or futility, is the same word that King Solomon uses when he's on a bit of a downer in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says, well, it's all vanity. It's all futile. It's all purposelessness. It's the same word. Creation appears, according to Paul, to lack purpose. Genesis records that God created the heavens and the earth, and he said that it was really good, and then he made mankind in his image with a specific job to do, to look after the creation that he'd made that he thought was good, to take it further than he ever thought, or he did create, but further than he'd given right then in an uncultivated wild garden, and he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, go on, and make it even better, change it, develop it, uh, cultivate it. And so the creation was uh, created and dreamt of by God to display God's handiwork and his light and his incredible creativity to the world. But then when Adam fell, creation lost its purpose. When they fell, Adam and Eve subjected creation to futility, to purposelessness. Creation also fell. The nature of our world, humanity, Culture, systems, structures, all of them subject to sin, decay, futility. I wonder if you can feel it in the atmosphere of our nation. Creation is longing and groaning and aching. There's a sense of uh, something more, something better must be around the corner. There's a, a physical groaning in our nation that creation is giving off. I'm not just talking about the trees and the fields And the animals, I'm talking about the whole of humanity, the systems and the structures, there's this aching, what the heck is going on as we look at our nation? I want to just talk about some of the groans that I feel like I can hear in our nation, and you might be able to hear some too. The first one is the groan of division. I can feel the aching of polarization and division and tribalism in our nation. I wonder if you can hear it too, whether you can feel it as you speak to people. People instantly label each other, don't they? At the school gate, when people ask me what my job is and I say I'm a pastor, I can feel a sense of, oh, what? You're a pastor? You don't look like a pastor. Are you a pastor? What does, what does that mean? Almost like they label me as something they can imagine a pastor would be that I hope I'm not all of the things that they're expecting. They automatically assume things about me and maybe push me away a little bit. I wonder uh, what you sense as you tell people that you're a Christian or that you stand for one particular thing because I feel like there's a polarisation. But we all do it depending on what we stand for. We kind of look to push away the opposite because there's a sense of fear in us. I recently had to do an exercise just this week in a workshop that I was in where I was made to write the list of people, types of people groups that if I went to a party and all at the party was just this bunch of people. They'd make me just want to leave the room. And I found it really challenging because uh, within me I have this thing, well, God loves everyone, doesn't he? But within me there is a kind of prejudice or discrimination about groups of people that are different to me. I wonder what your group might look like, your list might look like if you wrote a list of the people you were going to go to a party and you'd feel a bit uncomfortable because they're there and you're not sure if you get what they get and vice versa. I think... It's shocking when we do it, but we know that we're part of a nation that is polarizing and pushing people away. I can feel the ache. The second thing that I can feel is the groan of disconnection. In the last two decades, technology has massively changed and transformed the way that we live our life, hasn't it? Can't imagine without it. It's brought incredible global connectivity. It's changed the way we work and we shop and we relate and we date and we bank and we consume and communicate. But as a result, all sorts of other things have emerged through the disconnection because we're so wired into our technology. As a result, uh, we are more isolated than ever before. You know, 24% of the UK population don't know the name of their neighbours. I wonder if you know the name of... Uh, Your neighbours, our sense of community and connection with place has changed. Our society feels fragmented. Did you know Mark Zuckerberg, who founded Facebook, has called Facebook the new church? Because that's the place that most people do their community and their connectivity. Technology might have led to all this amazing global connectivity, but it's also decreased our intimacy. And I think this is playing out in our relationships, in our families, in our churches even Uh, but most starkly it's playing out in the family children are growing up more stressed more anxious more depressed more likely to self-harm people are more isolated and lonely drug and alcohol abuse and debt and suicide are on the increase dan just shared a heartbreaking statistic two people this week in this community have taken their lives and uh, completed suicide i think that's so sad I feel the ache of disconnection, of loneliness and isolation. I also feel the third groan is a sense of distrust in authority. Like there's a crisis in civic leadership and a general sense of distrust in anyone in authority. So uh, we're wondering who the heck can lead us? Who can take us where we need to go? Where are we even going? What does it even look like? What's future? What is coming uh, for us? I wonder if you feel hopeful as I've described those things. Let me tell you, Paul describes in Romans a hope that was so unusual to him, they had to create a new word uh, to describe it because uh, there was no word in the Greek that could describe the hope that Paul was feeling. uh, When he looked at the creation, groaning and aching for liberation, he had this hope that he wanted to communicate to his friends. Have you ever heard a word that has been totally uh, meant? made up, but you kind of know what you're talking about. So I want to share with you a word that uh, is totally made up, but I think you'll know what this word is. When I uh, put my clothes away, I put them on the chair drove rather than in the wardrobe. Or... floor drobe as uh, probably most of my family. Apart from Poppy, my seven-year-old, she's the most organized uh, little one and she'll come sometimes and say, Mummy, I put your clothes away for you. Uh, Can I have some pocket money? Uh, She took them off the uh, floor drobe or chair drobe and put them in the wardrobe. So Paul makes a word up a bit similar to that. You know what I meant straight away when I said chair drobe? Paul has this word that he uses in the Greek uh, that is three words put together. It's uh, a word that is only used one other time in the New Testament, in the book of Philippians, uh, when Paul's in prison in Rome and he's writing to his friends, the Philippians, and he uses this word to describe the future hope that he's feeling. So he's in prison, he's in chains, and it says in Philippians 1 verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope, it's the same word that he's using in, in uh, Romans, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed for me to live as Christ." And to die is gain. And let me tell you what this word is. word is apokaradokia. Can you say it with me? Apokaradokia. And it's three words in one. The first word, apo, means to turn away with concentration, ignoring everything else in front of you. So apo, turn away with concentration, ignoring everything that is in front of you. Kara means your head. So to turn your head away. Ignoring everything else. And dokia means to stretch forward. So to turn your head away, stretch your neck forward, ignore everything else with hope. He is looking and he's saying, this is me paraphrasing Paul in in Philippians when he's in prison, I might be in chains, I might be stuck in a cell, but I am stood on my metaphorical tiptoes, my head is stretched away from the prison cell towards the future of heaven that I can see, and I am ignoring all of that, and I am looking for the hope, so that for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And so... He's saying the same thing in Romans. Paul gives creation a kind of personality. And he says, he paints a picture of creation. The whole of creation stood on her tiptoes. Neck stretched away from the groaning and the aching of the pain of what's going on and focused on the future liberation of heaven. The city that we are yet to see but that we also live in and we pull out together as the children of God. And Paul says, even though there's an aching and a groaning and a longing, our lives with creation are stretched. Our neck is facing the other way and we are longing and aching for that world to come into this world. And I think we can feel it. There's a groaning and an aching within humanity, systems and structures, all of society. They're stood on tiptoes, their heads turned, their neck is outstretched, longing and aching for the mature, compassionate, sacrificial, creative Sons and daughters of God to rise up and to be revealed to the world in order for creation to be liberated from her bondage. So, as the people of God, I think we've got two choices. We've got one choice where we could agree with the news agents, where we can agree with the school gate mates or the people that you share a desk with. We could agree with the news headlines and say, yeah, we're in a national crisis. Everything feels hopeless. What are we going to do? Or we could get on our tiptoes. We could stretch our neck out with creation and we could look and turn towards the future knowing that we're citizens of heaven. We're sons and we're daughters. We are mature people who can see way past the brokenness and the aching and the groaning. And we can join with creation and pull uh, all of heaven to earth as we praise Jesus. It reminds me a little bit of a passage in Jeremiah that, as I was looking at all this, I also read. And um, it's in the first, uh, the first chapter of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is a prophet of God. And in the first book of Jeremiah, sorry, chapter of Jeremiah, God anoints him as prophet and says, uh, I'm anointing you to speak to this nation. And it's in the reign of King Josiah just before uh, the Israelites were taken and exiled into Babylon. Everyone knew, though, that the exile was coming. Everyone in uh, Israel were talk- they were talking about it. The prophets were saying, they were saying, the, if you carry on worshiping false gods, uh, destruction will come to uh, this nation. Jeremiah knew it. The other prophets knew it. The people in the street knew it. The people at the Israeli Israelites. Uh, News agents knew it, the school gate mates knew it in Israel, everyone knew it, calamity and destruction was coming. And God asks in the first book of Jeremiah, what do you see? Let me read it to you. Jeremiah 1 verse 11, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you've seen correctly for I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It's tilting towards us from the north. The Lord said to me, From the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. So God asks Jeremiah, What do you see? And the first thing he sees is an almond tree. I think it's really, really interesting. The commentaries would say that Jeremiah has a a double vision. So he sees two things at once, but the first thing he chooses to declare is the almond tree in front of him. I found out that the almond branch uh, in Hebrew uh, is really um, a strong metaphor, figuratively. Uh, It's compared to kind of our snowdrops that would come in February. Uh, So at the end of winter, the beginning of spring, the almond tree would uh, bloom or blossom. It's one of the first signs of the approaching spring. And the Hebrew word here. I can't actually say it. I think it's, let's just say, shaked. Shaked. It's not the ordinary word for an almond tree, but it's a poetical expression. And it means awakening, referring to the blossom of the tree that's taking place while everyone else at winter sleeps. So Jeremiah, he sees two things. He sees the almond tree that is the signal of spring, but he also sees this boiling cauldron, pot that when God says, what do you see again? He says, well, I see a cauldron. It's tilted towards us from the north, and it's going to pour disaster and calamity on our nation. I love the way that Jeremiah's attention was directed at the almond branch, and that he saw through supernatural, hope-filled eyes that an awakening of spring in the middle of winter would come to the nation. You know, anyone can see destruction coming. Anyone across your desk, in your workplace, can say, the nation is in crisis. We're divided, we're polarized, uh, we're lonely, we're isolated. What's going on? But it takes the prophet of God to see an almond branch. It takes the people of God to say, well, yeah, we do see the cauldron that's about to tip over us. But it takes the people of God, the mature sons and daughters, to declare and prophesy something different. And so here is what I think is possible in the heavenlies. And I hope that you could see more than I can. I hope that in your times with Jesus, as you're looking for the almond branch, he's speaking to you about hope and purpose and uh, incredible things that he wants to do in your community and in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods and in your families. This is what I see. You know that in uh, global shifts in politics, in global shifts in changes... Uh, it creates hunger, and I think our nation is hungry for the redemptive, hope-fueled love of our Heavenly Father. And so in the places that our nation is hungry, Jesus is the one that satisfies. So let's go. Where division is, this is what I see. I see compassionate love step in it, stepping up. I think there's a longing and an aching for respectful disagreement in an age of polarization of division and tribalism polarization and division is really just driven by fear isn't it the bible says the antidote to fear is love 1 john 4, 4 verse 18 says perfect love casts out all fear jesus taught us how to love our enemies he taught us to pray for those that persecute us or give us a hard time he said turn the other cheek Time and time again, he crossed the political, social, religious divides to reach out. And he saw the people behind the label. He saw their humanity and their brokenness, their needs, their desires. And he reached out to connect with them. Jesus' sacrifice came to unite the tribes. And our sonship or daughtership with him transcends our social divisions. Regardless of whether people agree with you on what you think Our call isn't to agree, our call is to love with sometimes respectful disagreement. Well, always respectful disagreement, but sometimes we agree with people as well. (laughs) I wonder if you feel yourself pulling away when someone in your workplace has completely opposite views to you. When someone on that list that I just described earlier, like in a party, uh, would make you feel uncomfortable because they're just not like you. And I wonder if I could just remind us all that the response from Jesus would be to cross the divide. To love, to bring hope, to bring affirmation and encouragement rather than to step in into fear. I heard a woman speak this week. uh, She's a bit younger than me and she leads a think tank, a political think tank in um, London. And every Monday night she has dinner parties as a Christian and invites atheists, new age people, hippies. Uh, Conservative peers, people from all different walks of life, and she brings them into her kitchen and has dinner with them and encourages them and listens to them. She's crossing the divide in order to show love, and that inspired me so much. Who in your life can you say you're different to me, but I'm going to love you because perfect love casts out all fear and stops polarization? The second one is in our disconnection. I see community. I think there's a longing for relational depth in an age of insta-culture. Can you feel that longing? Can you feel the anxiety and the depression and the suicide statistics? I think they're all an indication of that longing. And this disconnection and the relationships that we do virtually isn't what we were created for. We were created for family. We were created for this. We were created to sit in a room together and to do life together, Monday all the way through till Sunday in family. You know, in the Old Testament, the fatherhood of God is only mentioned 15 times, but in the New Testament, it's mentioned 370 times. The New Testament is an invitational unveiling of God's plan for humanity and family and relationship and adoption and love and security and hope all under the banner of the compassionate love of the father he wants to rescue us and care for us and love us he wants to bring us into his family for belonging and security and so I heard as well this week that screen time increases for children increases the risk of suicide and self-harm. But then the opposite I heard is that the statistics go down when children play sport, do their homework, and go to church. How cool is that? Because we were created for relationship and for family and for children who are so disconnected and isolated, and maybe the parents are just on the phone all the time, we can be another option I love Sarah and Simon Evans, and Sarah used to be our, um, she here? Sarah used to be our childminder. She's hiding at the back. And my kids going into their family with the way that they did family, do family, with their relationships and with the way that they've adopted uh, different boys into their house to bring families, just such an expression of the father's love for the community. And we can't all do what, Sarah. Yeah, let's give them, like... I love it. I love that my kids were exposed to that. And uh, I love that there's different ways of us doing that. As we can't all um, uh, adopt for uh, boys, uh, but we can open our homes and we can do community and family uh, to the people ar- around us. So I want to ask you, the people on your street, in your school, in your workplace, who need the revelation of love and family, what can you do about that? I want to challenge us to put our phones down more, to invite our children around the table to talk and discuss and connect and invite other people into that. So the last one that I see, where I see distrust, I see character. So there's a longing for leadership integrity in a Me Too culture of abuse and hypocrisy, the crisis in civic leadership and brokenness in leadership and integrity indicates to me that there's a longing and an aching for leadership integrity and for character in our nation. I think you can feel the disconnect between the people and our civic leaders, between sometimes parents and children, between teachers and students, anyone in authority, because people don't trust the people in authority. But you know, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. His calling over our lives is to be who we say we are so that we can be people of character and integrity. Galatians 5 describes the character of the individual, the person who sits in relationship with Jesus, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I think there's a place for the body of Christ in our neighborhoods, our communities, and our workplaces to model Christian, Christ-like character. To teach our children and our communities to display it in institutions, in your leadership at work, to show what godly character and leadership looks like. One of the reasons I think character is so lacking in our nation is because it's not been cultivated in private. I heard... A particular um, prime ministerial candidate yesterday, uh, people saying about him, there's no need for uh, us to talk about his private life because it doesn't matter what happens in the home. Well, I would say Jesus says uh, that you give in secret and you pray in secret, uh, but let your good deeds be on display for everyone to see. So uh, division uh, leads to uh, compassionate love. Uh, Let me remember my second point. Disconnection Disconnection leads to community and distrust. We need to be people of character. So Romans says creation is on tiptoes, longing for the children of God to be revealed. Creation, our city, our society, our nation, looking, waiting, wondering who are they, where are they. Uh, There's a revelation that needs to happen where we get outside of these walls and we show the world the goodness and the grace and the compassionate love of our Father in heaven. And so to finish, I just want to lead us in prayer. I want you to, if you can, close your eyes. I want you to ask God, where are those people that need me to reveal myself to them? Who are those people that you've put? Who are the people that are asking, where are the children of God? Who are the people who are on tiptoes, aching and groaning and longing and needing the people of God to be revealed? And Jesus... We want to stand in your presence, and together we want to make a commitment to those people. And like Jeremiah saw those two things, he saw calamity, but first he chose to speak out the breaking of spring and the almond branch. And today, with my brothers and sisters, I want to say we're committed to speaking over our nation, over our city. Over our communities and our families, in our workplaces, in uh, our streets, with our family, we're committed to describing the almond branch, the goodness of who you are, the future hope that we long for. Would you put us to work in the uh, bringing liberation to those people around us and to soothing the aching and the groaning and the longing? We receive this morning your Holy Spirit. Just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Who are those people? What's possible for your life? How can you bring out the God flavors, the God colors into the world and heal the brokenness that is all around us? We receive your Holy Spirit this morning so that we can do that. We breathe you in. I just want to lead us in a prayer that once we've prayed I'll get Dan up but uh, we pray a prayer at um, Alive Every Week and it's a gateway prayer really for anyone who's never prayed the prayer before to say yes to Jesus but I use it as a recommitment prayer or a prayer to say yes to the thing that the Holy Spirit's been speaking about to me so I want you to just hold it in your mind's eye what what you've heard from God this morning, the Holy Spirit what he's been saying to you about the brokenness and the longing but the revelation of your gift to the world and we're just going to pray it out loud as a declaration and if you're praying it for the first time Dan will jump up and uh, he'll help you Uh, to go on your next steps of where that takes you. So we've got the prayer. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I have lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Love that. Love that. Disconnect community. That's what Joy's talking about. Community with God. Community with friends. Doing life together recognizing that there's a greater purpose. I want to encourage you all to keep that, find that community. God loves you. He designed you to be in relationship with him. So if you have prayed that for the first time, we'd love to connect with you afterwards. Or if you're recommitting your life to God, there'll be a prayer team just down here. Uh, one, of the, one of the side, we'll go down this side today. Uh, no, we won't. We'll go down this side today, where, where they're in front of the kids. Connect with us. If you need prayer for anything else, That would be brilliant. We'd love to pray for you. It would be an absolute honour. But Joy, that was brilliant. I love that. The way you communicate. So sharp, so clear. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, there's some words I need to go away and chew about that. But we are designed to be community. I love